Hi, welcome to Cryptic Chronicles. Today on the show, we're going to go into a little bit more of a darker tone and just do a basic overview of Shadow People lore, which is actually a lot more vast, intricate, and ancient than one would think. I have covered this topic in the past before, but it wasn't really going in depth with anything. And this overview of Shadow People is actually a patron request from Grodius. So this episode is dedicated to Grodius. And I used a large amount of book resources to put this together. And all of my resources will be in the show notes if you want to go check them out. It's a lot of good books and I actually recommend all of them. And FYI, if you're easily scared or superstitious or a little kid, then don't listen to this episode. Get out of here. Go away. Are they gone yet? Okay. Then now that it's just you and me, listener... Let's begin then, yeah? I'm your host, Tim Hacker, and you're listening to Cryptic Chronicles. Many people have researched for years trying to explain what shadow people are. And, spoiler alert, they could not. Everything about this topic is theoretical. So I'm not going to play fast and loose trying to pretty much portray anything I say as fact. Which sadly isn't really the case concerning most people who kind of have podcasts or shows on like paranormal topics or fringe topics, they kind of don't look at it that way, a lot of them, concerning shadow people. They're usually pretty hardliners when talking about the topic, and if you are coming from like a a UFO phenomenon point of view or a religious point of view, there's going to be some pretty different contrasts concerning how you look at shadow people or any of the various perspectives on them. In truth, though, it's all just theories and speculation. This doesn't mean that there isn't something worth looking into, just that the topic is too nuanced and broad to put in a box. And if you research just when shadow people crept into a wider knowledge of their existence in the masses, at least in the paranormal pop culture of America, uh, looking back to the early 2000s and Art Bell's legendary show Coast to Coast is a pretty logical suspect. Considering their source of origin in the American collective pop culture and conscious, then yeah, that seems like pretty much when it started to get popular in like fringe lore circles and whatnot. However, Shadow People lore is way older than that. From a certain point of view, you could even say that it goes back throughout human history concerning entities analogous to Shadow People. The term Shadow People actually first originated in pop culture back in 1953 in the radio drama Creatures in the Shadows. 
but the farthest, farthest back official report, at least, of them in America actually took place in 1949 in San Jose, California, to a man named Charles G. Parcels. The encounter took place at nighttime at his window when he was a child, and is one of the earliest documentations of an encounter with the Hat Man, which is a specific type of shadow person. But this is just the official first encounter because they have a long history in America, according to Native Americans. Indeed, they are particularly prominent in American tribal folklore. But pretty much across the board, across all ways to look at them, they seem to be more than one thing that humanity credits to many different paranormal entities. A common thought among researchers is that they are beings from different layers of the onion, metaphorically. And the onion being the multidimensional existence we as humans reside in at one particular frequency. There's also circles that say that they are aliens, which is, uh, or anything like along the lines of that type of topic. But, uh, the whole alien stuff is pretty interesting to theorize. But you'd think that an ET race would have some sort of objective. A lot of times in accounts, shadow people seem to come around for no reason at all, especially to children. But they also seem to be drawn to certain people or invited in some way such as like through emotional turmoil or reckless dabbling in the occult. Concerning all the different versions and experiences around the world, shadow people can be roughly categorized into eight distinct different types. Shadows of terror, red-eyed shadows, shadow cats, or just shadow animals in general, same thing, benign shadows, shadows that attack, angry hooded shadows, noisy shadows, and of course, the dreaded hat man. But this doesn't mean that these types are set in stone, because many times they also overlap and mix together. Some people only see dark figures out of the corner of their eyes, while others only see them poking their heads through doors or windows, but many also see full-blown apparitions. Shadow people reportedly have many different demeanors as well. They attack, paralyze, terrorize, but also just seem to be going about their business or benign. Mostly though, mostly they just lurk and stare. And they are definitely not subjective hallucinations because there are many shadow people encounters where two or more people witness the figure, especially in children. But oddly enough, there are also shadow people phenomena where only one person can see the shadow person and no one else such as reports of sick or dying people being able to see darker than dark figures, but not anyone else surrounding them in their day-to-day lives, which sounds horrifying. Humans can experience no greater fear than fear of the unknown, and a lot of the fear surrounding shadow people generates from that fact when one encounters them. Not all of them actually exude or induce fear, with in many cases the fear solely coming from the witness. But a lot of times this fear is artificial and seems to be injected into the person, and the terror is often so overwhelming that the person can't even move their body. It's widely accepted that many types of shadow people literally feed off of fear, or depression, or any of the darker emotions really. Shadow entities like this make some people think that they are demonic, and I've also read the work of researchers who think that they're entities from the fourth dimension. So there's pretty much a variety of different ways that we can look at these walking shadows. 
I don't really think that the majority of people who talk about the fourth dimension understand physics or just how different the third dimension is from the fourth, but I get their gist in that they originate from another dimension or plane of existence. And while many encounters are indeed horrible, there are always those that don't quite fit in with the overall theme most people would think of about shadow people. Like, what about the benevolent encounters? Well, actually, benevolent is not the right word, probably, but what, what I meant is, what about the encounters that are not harmful at all? Or they don't act evil or anything like that? For example, here's a story of an encounter that somebody had as a kid back in 1990. Quote, My age had to have been five or six. I was thirsty. I got up and left the bunk beds, my brother sleeping soundly above me, and went down the hall and turned on the kitchen light to fill a cup in the sink. I looked into the dark living room beyond the kitchen's light while I drank the water. I saw a glowing red dot. I grabbed a napkin and squinted with one eye while covering the other with the napkin to look at the red dot. I have no idea why I did that, but I did. Shortly after, I stopped, letting the napkin fall to my side, but still held in my hand. I walked out of the kitchen into the dark living room. It was then I realized there was not one red dot, but two, and the shape of a person sitting in my dad's armchair. It was darker than the darkness, just sitting there, looking forward. There was no fear in me, and the figure was motionless. No ill intent came from it in any way, and my feeling of comfort in my home never slipped for a moment. It's one of my earliest memories. I was a child, and maybe I didn't know enough or have enough experience to be afraid. I thought I'd keep it company for a moment, to be nice, and sat on the couch facing the chair. I thought that it might have been lonely, and my child's mind thought that I should make it feel better. I sat there and just looked at it, the red eyes. It didn't speak, move, or do anything. It was completely motionless the whole time. Then I once again started putting the napkin over an eye and looking at it with the other, but this time going back and forth with the napkin. It was fun to cover one of the red eyes with one of my eyes using the napkin and then go to the other. I also liked putting the napkin down and squinting my eyes to make the red eyes look fuzzy. I did this for a little while, but being a child had little attention span and eventually went back to bed. Well, to be honest, my memory cuts off there on the couch. I don't remember going back to bed or walking down the hall or anything, but up until that point, the memory is crisp and clear. I mean, I had to have just gone back to bed. After the encounter, my life just went on as normal, and it didn't seem like a big deal to me. Until years later, I realized just how scared I should have been. A glowing red-eyed shadow demon or something in my living room. I've gone back to that memory consistently my entire life. It only happened once. I never saw the shadow being again, but that one encounter is burned into my psyche, 
and have questioned if it really happened or not. But when I look back on my childhood and all of my memories, that one is the most clear. End quote. I know most shadow people stories are more theatrical or dramatic, or the person says that they had many encounters over time. This is a, the more consistent type of shadow person tales, but this one feels organic and honest. And it's a perfect example that not all shadow person encounters are horrific. And an example of a shadow person being harmless. And a kid, even if momentarily, wanting to keep it company just to be nice. In case it was lonely, I have never once in all of my research for shadow people, which is pretty substantial, heard anything else like that. But then again, this kid was pretty young. Do you remember much from being five? It's interesting, too, how the memory just cuts out. But then again, that's not too abnormal for a memory created in someone so young. But it does make me analyze a possibility of alien abduction because that sounds like some abductee accounts. A lot of abductee accounts. Or like fairy encounters when you get kidnapped by fairies. There's like whenever there is a memory loss of some sort, there's usually some kind of abduction. But I got nothing to go off of that, so we're just going to take it at face value for now. It is easily the most interesting shadow person story, I think, even though it's not nearly the scariest whatsoever. In any case, it is the perfect example of shadow people being pretty much harmless sometimes. These encounters of benign shadow people are myriad, with many who encountered them this way growing up to become researchers themselves, not only of shadow people, but just high strangeness, the paranormal, fringe, just stuff like that in general. All you need is just a tiny taste of the other to get sucked in. It's interesting to note that many people who have experienced these benign encounters as children usually chalk them up to just being ghosts or something. And indeed, this is one of the most prevalent theories among the mainstream-orientated experiencers. Like I said, people think they're ghosts, entities from another dimension, demons, a psychological disorder, omens of doom to come, aliens, or even the angel of death. And there's also the connection of shadow people and the phenomenon of sleep paralysis, to which, statistically, you, dear listener, have a good chance of experiencing at least once in your life. The majority of encounters leave people feeling heavily fearful, helpless, and violated. But what do you think, listener? Do you think it's possible for such entities to exist utilizing what we know about psychology, physics, and neuroscience? Or are we just semi-intelligent primates trying to shove the square block through the round hole? In any case, researchers have attempted to utilize our understanding of science and whatnot to explain the phenomenon. And supposedly, scientists having figured the entities during sleep paralysis out, some think little understood aspects of the mind can help explain them. But despite that, they can't just go around saying that everything is a hallucination because from our understanding of neuroscience, literally everything you see is a hallucination. What you think you're looking at is not what's there. It's what your psyche assembles out of data around you. And if there is unknown data in the process, then your mind actually has a lot more of a challenge creating a representation of it for you and your conscious awareness. Human sense organs are incredibly flawed and is specifically um, designed for, through natural selection, for a specific way to exist only for survival. 
And there's still way more expansion that we need to evolve into to truly comprehend the world around us. The colors that you see aren't necessarily the same colors that other people see. And there's so much filtered out of your mind's eye. A lot is just filled in and isn't even really analyzed by your brain. Like your periphery vision, for example, is mostly just filler. Our neurotransmitters and sensory organs are geared towards just a couple things, specifically. To find a mate and breed and have offspring. To find nice colors of food to eat. And to see stuff that wants to kill us. And all this in a specific way that revolves around our bodies. And this goes for so many things, even time itself. Like insects, for example, experience time like a hundred times slower than us. So even though they only live like a year or a month even sometimes, to them, they live just as long as us. Well, maybe not. That's a crude example. But in a lot of ways, yeah, that could be a crude analogy. Even though we are self-aware, where humans are still a kind of a crude form of sentience. And if we keep on going on the way that we're going to be going in the path without obstruction, then we're going to probably evolve to have some more pretty crazy abilities that us right now might think of as supernatural or just be able to see the world accurately as it is around us. That includes more light spectrums, spectrums we're not even aware of yet, different vibrations and frequencies, including like maybe even being able to see radio waves in the air. Like there's so much going on in the universe that we're blind to. And this actually leaves open a lot of possibilities concerning high strangeness. But when it does come down to a more mainstream scientific look into shadow people, then we got to check out sleep paralysis, which to many is like the sole source of shadow people encounters and knowledge. Not the case, but to some people, they do directly associate it with sleep paralysis. The far too common experience in sleep paralysis is someone waking up not able to move, with a shadow person hovering over them, choking them, or putting pressure on their chest. This is also called the old hag syndrome and is interchangeable with many horrific encounters to those who've experienced sleep paralysis. In psychology, this has been summed up as a sleep disorder that a surprisingly high amount of people endure. And how it works is you, when you go to sleep, your brain shuts down the connection to your body. This is so that you don't act out your dreams in real time. Think of the sleepwalking disorder. Did you know that people suffering sleepwalking have murdered people? Not only that, they've murdered people, but actually been found innocent in court. Yeah. Go look it up if you don't believe me. That's legit. And um, yeah, sleep disorders can get pretty freaky. Look up Albert Tyrrell if you want to know more. But according to science, the explanation for encounters with nightmare entities during sleep paralysis is summed up as the brain being in between waking and sleep with one foot in the dream world. And the brain has not yet given movement back to the body. What's harder to explain is the consistent themes that people who suffer or have encounters during sleep paralysis. I mean, it's harder to explain the consistencies between them, even though people experience it separately in a subjective manner. Also, a fascinating aspect of sleep paralysis is if people like encounter entities during it, it's usually based off of one's own culture or personal beliefs. For the most part, though, Shadow people play a role in an extremely high number of cases concerning the type of entity encountered during sleep paralysis. 
I've experienced sleep paralysis many, 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 many times since I was a kid. But my sleep paralysis experiences actually have never fit in with this narrative or any others. Well, I mean the freaky ones. It's never been horrifying or like have evil entities or been scary. Just somewhat annoying. Well, I mean like scary stuff. I've definitely experienced some pretty bizarre things in sleep paralysis or the hypnagogic state in general. But I think I'm super lucky in that context because my personal sleep paralysis experiences are not nightmarish like you find in a lot of people's encounters. And in sleep paralysis, a lot of experiencers have encountered shadow people. I do find the neuroscience aspects of the phenomenon fascinating though, even though it's not an explanation. Swiss neuroscientist Olaf Blanke, I don't know how to pronounce that, conducted experiments with low-level electronic currents aimed at specific parts of the brain. And this had some very bizarre results. One student in particular kept turning their head to the side and appeared to be troubled, which um, when asked what was wrong, the student said that a shadow person was standing behind her and she knew that it intended to do her harm. How she knew this, she couldn't explain. She just knew it. Dr. Olaf then cut the power and the student said that the shadow person was no longer there. When he turned the power back on, she said the shadow person had returned. And this is bizarre for a variety of reasons. I'm surprised that she even admitted to seeing the shadow person or whatever. I mean, it's kind of embarrassing, right? Especially in a scientific environment. But um, all experience imagery we have is an electronic current, an energy in the brain. And with Dr. Olaf's experiments, it kind of synced into the fact that there's an electromagnetic field across the globe that we don't fully understand, which also influences our minds, humans, in ways that we can't currently comprehend. Well, I mean brains, not minds, but I'm sure you get it. The mind and the brain are two entirely separate things, and I should be specific, but I'm sure that I don't have to spell out for you. But this is why birds or animals like know where to migrate to survive you know like uh or to hibernate and stuff like that they just they know from seemingly invisible reasons to us but it's this electromagnetic energy across the planet that influences their brains that helps guide them and this electromagnetic energy affects our subconscious and our brains just as much and depending on the way you look at it certain waves of this electromagnetic energy can either make us see stuff that we normally can't see or makes us hallucinate sometimes. Or who knows, entities may actually live in this electromagnetic energy that we can't comprehend visually. Normally. Most people. It's how animals just know to do certain things. But why did it cause this student to see shadow people? Was the shadow person already there, just unable to be seen by normal awareness? Or did she fully hallucinate it? If it was a hallucination, then why a shadow person? Pretty interesting stuff, right? But the experiments did prove that there are levels of awareness we don't always have access to, but surround us nonetheless, just like animals and our own relationship with the electromagnetic spectrum. And with a lot of this interaction being subconscious, no wonder we don't really understand it. The brain is a vat of chemicals as well, 
And if those chemicals are thrown out of whack, then neurotransmitters can be thrown out of whack too. So if you have a chemical imbalance in the brain, it either makes you more susceptible to paranormal occurrences or it makes it easier for the brain not to represent the world around one accurately, sometimes in a frightening manner. And more experiments of this type have concluded that people are much more likely to like witness entities or uh, you know, paranormal type of stuff if they're in a strange, unfamiliar environment and there's very low light levels. Remember what I said about the brain assembling a representation of data to display to you as an image? And if the data is unfamiliar, the representation can get tricky for the brain to produce to the conscious mind. So if you're in a low-lit, unfamiliar area, the brain has a hard time doing this as efficiently and can actually create ghosts where there are none. And even shadow people or other stuff, even though what's truly there is probably just a hoodie on a chair or something. Now keep in mind, I'm not dismissing paranormal entities or that there might be a more high strangeness factor to shadow people. All this part of the episode is just about the more scientific view of shadow people. And neuroscience is really fun. And it's interesting how unreliable our brain is and our mind and our eyes and our senses. Always fascinating to me. So after a quick break, let's get into the more paranormal side of shadow people, or at least the more weird side of it. You are listening to Cryptic Chronicles. $30 off weed with code podcast? Did someone say $30 off weed with code podcast? Amuse delivers over 500 high-quality cannabis products from the Bay Area brands you love at everyday low prices. You can also rest assured that everything will be up to your high standards. So what are you waiting for? Start shopping now at amuse.com. Use promo code podcast to save 30 bucks off your next order. That's amuse.com. So concerning the different views on this topic, we could also briefly go into Carl Jung's psychological type views on the topic. 
because there's also the whole idea of archetypes and shadow people. After all, accounts of shadow people are reported across the planet from all cultures. And when you have archetypes popping up in different cultures from all over the planet, uh, it means that a lot of this phenomena could be, not all of it, but a lot of it could be archetypes of the collective unconscious. And if you're unfamiliar with what archetypes are, an easy way to think of them without getting too in-depth is to look at them like the, the gods of old and how the old gods were basically the personification of certain energies or attributes of the universe, including humanity. They're sentient currents of energy that pull the strings on humanity's psyche, and they can be super big or much smaller in scale as well, and always willing to wear whatever mask you want to put on it or your culture wants to put on it. So a lot of the times, from this point of view, the old gods were all the same gods in every culture, just different mask. Same archetype, different mask. And a lot of the bigger of these archetypes are what make up the very foundation of what makes any human a human. And again, this is just a crude, quick explanation. Throughout history, a lot of paranormal activity has changed with the times. Some skeptics point at this as a form of validation to themselves. But of course, any polarized extreme is always wrong. And one-dimensional thinking, the greatest sign of ignorance, with the truth usually being somewhere in the middle of two extremes. A fascinating view at this change in how paranormal supernatural works throughout time is from the archetypal point of view. Concerning the last two centuries, a lot of paranormal sightings concerning UFOs and stuff like that the technology that they use changes. It used to just be kind of like barely beyond our own. A lot of the old saucer footage and theories, the saucers don't really move that fast or seem too technologically advanced compared to what we understand now. And just FYI, I'm not saying that ETs are not real. Just that in a strange way, the paranormal has seemed to evolve alongside human civilization in an ever-changing manner. It could be seen that, just like our consciousness and our civilizations change over time, our archetypal manifestations could change as well. Although at the same time, shadow people lore have seemingly been a part of human lore since the dawn of our sentience. And this does not, does not explain shadow people at all. Interesting to think about though, because it does seem that on some level, we do have archetypal monsters and entities and spirits or any of that kind of stuff to a degree. And concerning science, I could also get into the required density of mass that is uh, necessary in order to have a form that alters light to give the appearance of a shadow. I don't really want to bore you with all that stuff. And it's not really necessary to understand shadow people in the context that we're talking about, listener. Shadow people have been reported to be able to interact with physical objects and people, which uh, raises some interesting science-based questions on density and matter. So let's just throw out talking about it from a boring, mundane perspective. After all, the scientific method does not truly apply to things that cannot be measured by it. And uh, trying to do that is scientism. That's not science. And I mean, most people who get knee-deep in researching this topic would laugh at attempting to use science in explaining high strangeness. Researchers will say it's not a physical force, it's an etheric force, and you don't have to be touched by something to feel or have sensation, which is true. 
And in some ways, I agree in that science is a tool that has limitations. It's not the end-all be-all that a lot of people try to make it out as. It's only useful if it can be quantified utilizing the scientific method. If information isn't able to be quantified in this manner, then it's not science. Period. So trying to figure out something as esoteric as shadow people utilizing science is some pretty ridiculous hubris. And as I said, all of our senses are electric pulses in the brain that can be replicated in a plethora of ways. People's minds can be tricked into doing some pretty ridiculous things. Like the whole ape experiment is pretty interesting how in a scientific experiment, people who are like in a circle and um, a man in an ape suit walks into their circle and nobody notices. Look it up, it's pretty sweet. But it's just it's like, there's endless examples I could give. I don't want to go further. But the mind is far more powerful and ineffable than most would credit. But that's not a scary thing at all. It's actually a good thing that at least it inspires a lot of wonder in me. However, it can inspire a lot of horror in others, and I see it every day. Not every day, but I see it a lot because people want to have this false sense of control. And this horror is even more focused, especially when experiencing things that go against their accepted view of reality. When their view of reality doesn't recognize something, the data doesn't add up, it could cause a lot of haywire in the brain. I believe some people also have called these types of events like uh, black swan events. And most people will have some sort of experience like that throughout their lifetime, where just their entire view of reality is just instantly switched because of the, like, uh, because they had some kind of experience. Not necessarily does it have to be supernatural. Many times it, it is. Like you look at all the scientists who have switched their stance on the topic after having one or two experiences. But it could also be mundane as well. It's just a situation where your entire view is just flipped on its head. In essence, reality is not what it seems at a surface level. And we live in a very, very weird universe. Or multiverse, I could say. At least according to quantum physics. But anyway, no more blah, blah, blah. Let's, uh, let's get into why you're here. Let's get into the more creepy side of things concerning shadow people. In the book... The Active Side of Infinity by Carlos Castaneda. He called these entities mud shadows. Castaneda was a well-known anthropologist and author who died back in 1998, but left behind quite an impressive legacy concerning anthropology and metaphysical literature. He wrote that he experienced these mud shadows many times, often dancing at the side of his vision, and that the fear induced in people from them is very real, and serves a purpose. Castaneda claimed that there were two types of mud shadows, two different categories, the organic and the inorganic. The inorganic ones could either bargain for your energy or steal it. However, the organic mud shadows don't feed on human energy, but look about the same. They're just like any shadow person, but they don't get in the way of the inorganic mud shadows feeding or just conducting their business in general. So though Castaneda says that there are two different types of the same shadow entity, only one is trouble. And he says that these mud shadows have very specific desires from people. They're bottom feeders. They drink up the energy of beings like humans. They are predatory. And uh, yeah, basically what you'd think concerning shadow people. Castaneda's work is pretty interesting. I'm going to have to pick up his books. 
like all of them. But it's interesting too how some people like D.H. Parsons, president of the Bliss Parsons Institute of Metaphysics in Columbia, Missouri, don't, or haven't I should say, experience any bad encounters with shadow people, no matter how much they delve into it or try to experience it or invite it. It's pretty fascinating that people actually look to experience this kind of stuff. And um, researchers of shadow people have theorized that they only really hunt or go after specific types of people. What makes people part of the menu or not really isn't understood in any way and can really only be speculated about In fact, going along Castaneda's route about the mud shadows, there are many accounts of shadow people being visually seen, but outright ignoring the witness in all ways, acting like they're not even there. And that sparks a bunch of questions. Like, I mean, we could mean nothing to shadow people, and our presence is irrelevant unless they are on the hunt or need to feed or whatever. And these other ones from Castaneda's lore... They don't even care about feeding on people, so it's, it makes sense that they just ignore humans altogether. Even if they are benign, what's the point of interacting with people in that way? Why would they visually manifest at all? It must be taxing in some way or another, right? Or is it just that some people can see them and others can't? Or, you know, I don't know. Exorcist James Buckman says that shadow people are very real and not figments of the imagination at all. They are not thought forms or ghosts, but negative spirits that come through to our plane of existence through portals. These doorways can be found everywhere and unfortunately can only be opened if someone chooses to through their own free will, which sounds like uh, some circles of demonology. But even more unfortunate is that these doors are often not obvious and rarely intentional. James Buckman was... He himself, once terrorized by a shadow person, till he got the help of an exorcist who then helped to teach him how he could get rid of the entity by himself. Until this day, he exorcises shadow people from people's houses, though it's through word of mouth and never for profit or in ads. You won't find them on a website or anything. This is not a Christian exorcism, though, mind you, because exorcism is a practice that is found in all cultures throughout time. Just like how demonology, people think demonology is just like Christian themed and it's not. (laughs) But his view on shadow people is pretty hardcore. Once they latch on, they're not the easiest to get rid of, Buckman says. And once they invade, they often create a toxic environment out of someone's life to properly feed on the desired energy they want. The only way to truly rid yourself of them is a good demonologist, exorcist and the like, or through self-transformation. But people rarely go through the effort or have the will to do the latter. Buckman depicts shadow people as much more demonic, though insists they are interdimensional entities. And now that we've gone over a couple experts' view on the matter, just what are these entities when looking at folklore or myth? Obviously, the Abrahamic religious views are instantly going to call them demons, so no reason to go into more in-depth there, at least for this episode. Well, other than some aspects of Islam, such as the jinn, but the jinn are also in Arabian folklore, as well as all the ancient Near East or the peninsula, that whole area. They're better known as genie in the West, 
and these supernatural beings have been on Earth long before humans, and their form is universally across all the lore, smokeless fire, which sounds suspiciously like a living shadow. Jinn are said to come in and out of the spheres of existence that we humans dwell within, and they are not evil as a like a blanket statement, but share the same moral shades of gray that humanity has. But in saying that, it means there are jinn that are very much not friendly to people and outright hate us. They normally exist just on the other side of the veil and are mostly invisible unless otherwise deciding not to be. And jinn can appear as literally anything, so encountering one can get pretty surreal. However, I don't really think that jinn feed on fear though and don't really need anything from humans. Unless they do it for fun, I guess. In fact, actually, just uh, just thinking that a jinn would need anything from people in any way, including feeding on our energy, is basically an insult to them. They would take that as an insult. And you don't want to piss off jinn. There's also a deep tradition of jinn in the occult, complete with their own grimoires and rituals and everything. And while there are good and benign, neutral, everything in between, Jin, the bad ones, you probably won't survive. So shadow people being Jin, they could be having some kind of game or fun at it. Or who knows, it really could be anything. Who are we to understand timeless, interdimensional entities of the universe? Anyway, let's take a quick break. You're listening to Cryptic Chronicles. Thanks for listening to Cryptic Chronicles. The show is sponsored by Blueberry, and if you're interested in starting your own podcast, use our link. We'll even give your podcast a shout out. Go to crypticchroniclespodcast.com and click on the Blueberry link on the homepage. By doing so, you'll be helping the show. Blueberry is optimized for iTunes as well as all podcast hubs. You won't have to worry about expensive contracts or fees. In fact, you won't have to leave your own website. You'll have your own RSS feed and no third-party sites. Try it for a month free by going through Cryptic Chronicles.
Also, if you're a fan of cryptic content, please support the show on Patreon. By giving just $1 a month, you can really assist us in posting more content frequently. You'll also have access to bonus ad-free episodes of the show and the Discord channel. And the Discord channel. To keep up with all Cryptic Chronicles content, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and of course Facebook. Give the Facebook page a like and join the Cryptic Chronicles group. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for supporting the show. But most of all, thanks for listening. Native American shamanism has some of the most interesting shadow person lore to me, especially since I'm part Cherokee, though to a small degree. But shadow people do have a prominent place in Cherokee folklore among many more native tribes. What kind of separates Cherokee lore or Native American lore in general on shadow people compared to other shadow people lore is that these entities were once medicine men. Though it's not medicine like you might think, it's more so like the medicine is I guess you could say, like, look at it like magic, kind of, as a simplification. Just think of medicine men as like shamans, magicians, druids, you know, stuff like that. Medicine men that become corrupted in their own power and greed can become perverted into a shadow person. Honestly, though, medicine, looking in from the outside as a Westerner, it's good. It's used for good. There is no bad medicine. In Western culture, there's usually this duality of black and white, good and bad. You know, like white magic, black magic, that kind of stuff. That doesn't exist in medicine. So we shouldn't call medicine men dark stuff or reference the name and dark entities because it's wrong and actually kind of insulting. Just something to keep in mind if you ever have a conversation about this kind of uh, cryptic weird stuff with a native. But my point is, it's not the medicine that causes this corruption. It's the intent behind it. If the medicine isn't utilized properly, there are some pretty horrific consequences. The medicine men will lose their power for healing, to commune with nature, and the connection that they have with the Great Spirit. They'll be transformed into a shadow person that then becomes parasitic on others. They'll literally feed on death, suffering, and evil. We could go into skinwalkers here too, which they could also become, but we're going to stay focused on shadow people. Just log that at the back of your mind, because skinwalkers too are a pretty malevolent force from this lore. And then there's also the notion of the shadow walker, but that's an entirely different category of dark entity. During times of struggle, danger, or defense, it's appropriate for the medicine man to take care of their tribe utilizing medicine. This is the only time that they can use their power pretty freely. Their power over spirits, animals, and even shadow people during warfare or other such stressful type situations where the tribe is in great peril. It's the medicine men that get drunk on this power and can't give it up that pay for it severely because none of those abilities are okay to use in a selfish manner. These people are called Skili, and are never referred to as a medicine man ever again. They're not fully alive, but they're not fully dead either, and absolutely not looked at as human anymore. Skili can perform both physical and spiritual attacks, 
FYI, don't ask Cherokee about this stuff, though, because they don't like to talk about it with outsiders. But I mean, come on, that honestly just makes them more interesting and mysterious. According to Cherokee legend, there is a particularly messed up skilly called the Raven Mocker. It steals the souls of the ill or dying and is a particularly nasty form of a shadow person. The Raven Mocker is a consistent enemy to the Cherokee in their myth and is very similar to other cultures around the world who have a consistent theme of a, an, like a, an opposer throughout their history. Other Native Americans, including the Apache, Hopi, Navajo, and Anasazi, also have shadow person lore, though it's different to a degree depending on some circumstances. There are natives who have a more benevolent view of shadow people, with some even considering them the manifestations of the dead, putting them more in line with ghosts. The Navajo have the concept of the sacred shadow self. Quote, Every single person births one. We are indigenous people identified by our spiritual self. Identity as earth, surface, people, and five-fingered people. Human beings. We are all a precious child of creator. And even the shadow is sacred. Our shadow upon Mother Earth is an aspect of our sacred self. End quote. Some Apache believe shadow people can be guardians of sacred land or areas and only take action if the area is not being respected, especially if people are taking pictures or like throwing trash around the land, things of that nature. But I've also read some pretty interesting Apache shadow person encounters that take place in museums. So they may just show up anywhere that's important culturally to Apache. Yet, though Apache are known to be great warriors, these shadow people are usually just, well, they're, they're not but benevolent because they will protect the area or the whatever they're protecting, but they're not openly malevolent across the board, basically. They're not hostile, is what I'm saying. I guess unless you really, really, really piss them off, but other than that, they're going to mostly just communicate, maybe even wisdom. But definitely tell people to get off sacred land or not to profane sacred stuff of the Apache. The Lakota too have their own version. I could go on with this stuff, this Native American shadow person lore for a while, but I don't want to get too enveloped in it. There's still a lot to go over. I didn't even get into the Tariaxic, which are a fascinating race of shadow people to the Inuit tribes. But let's move on to other cultures or traditions, versions of shadow people. In Buddhism, there are the unseen realms, and some of the entities that dwell there just beyond awareness are often referred to as the dark shadows. Dark shadows are unique, though, in that they are very much considered sovereign real entities, but they can only interact with humans through their own demons. And by demons, I don't mean literal demons. I mean the darker aspects of people like negative emotions, habits, or actions. Which is uh, interesting because it's a common trope shadow people are attracted to. Negativity. In some forms of Hinduism, there is the Antarloka, the world between worlds. The dimension between worlds. It is where people's spirit body goes when sleeping or between incarnations. 
And Tarloka is the closest world to our world, and to the Hindu. A shadow person is analogous to a soul who died an untimely death and is temporarily earthbound, but not quite fully in one realm or the other. And these shadow people can be pretty nasty because they're in a state of confusion or often agitation. Then there are the Ikimu from beyond ancient Sumeria, which are living shadows that feed off people just like a lot of shadow person lore and are one of the most challenging entities to exercise, with only the best demonologists having a shot. In Egypt, they called shadow people Kabut, and believed that the entities were part of a person. Being one of seven souls, every human had to make a whole. This is the part of the soul that remains on earth after someone's death. This shadow soul is left to wander the earth while the others go on to do other things. There's more to it, but that's basically it. Everybody has a kebut that remains on earth after they die till the end of the world. So from the Egyptian point of view, literally everybody becomes a shadow person. In ancient Greece, shadow person lore evolved a lot over time. The shadow self was also part of every person, and the shadow self could be sacrificed to Zeus, king of the gods. But later down the line, kind of also got associated with early werewolf stories that would down the centuries turn into the werewolves we know today. And yeah, it's weird to think that shadow self lore evolved into werewolf lore over time that originates from Greece. There's actually a lot of legends and myths and all that good stuff that originate in Greece. But shadow people lore is found in all societies in antiquity, with sometimes the shadow even being referenced as a guardian and are a weird, otherworldly form of ourselves or something that can actually influence us to a degree. Like, um, they are an entirely separate entity from who knows where that latches on to people throughout their lives and uh, that starts at birth. Some really old texts even claim that demons fear the shadow person of people. These guardian shadow people that people get at birth are, are powerful powerful spirit entities. And many people don't really seem to be familiar with this tradition, but you can find it in many places in the ancient world, like the opera Omnia, for example, talks about the shadow keeping demons at bay. As long as the shadow is there, you can't really be messed with by a lot of otherworldly entities, according to this tradition. And I kind of do dig this guardian aspect of the, of the shadow person phenomenon which is a lot less known. But this old tradition even got to the point where, well, I guess it was all, always there, depending on what version of this tradition, but it said that the Grim Reaper itself had to get permission from the shadow person in order to take a person's soul. So these shadow people guardians are even stronger than the embodiment of death, the Grim Reaper. Without the shadow person's permission, the human soul cannot be taken by any spiritual, metaphysical, or supernatural entity. Stories of dark figures roaming around a dying person but kept at bay by that individual's shadow person are actually not uncommon by people who have accidentally seen Beyond the Veil. If you remember at the beginning of this episode, I briefly mentioned such a account. From this point of view concerning shadow people, this, uh, this ancient point of view, evil entities are actually afraid of shadow people. Which, honestly, come on, listener, have you heard that before? 
This is like one of the most interesting takes on the subject. And it goes against the grain in a lot of lore that we've already talked about. These shadows do not have an afterlife or exist in any other way than keeping the balance between good and evil in the world, while at the same time guarding their assigned human. The Greek myth of Persephone kind of follows its theme. When Hades, god of the underworld, took Persephone, nature began to die as winter came about in an unnatural fashion. But what could possibly confront the god of the underworld? The earth would die without Persephone, so he had to be confronted. Well, shadows are sent to claim her, as Hades, a god of death, fears them and must respect their commands. Thus, spark in the cycle of seasons and uh, the saving of humanity and the world. So you see, it looks like shadow people lore has always been present in human civilization throughout time. If you look for it, you will find shadow people lore in literally all cultures ever, or at least something analogous or similar. I'm not talking absolutes here, but the theme definitely says something about the collective psyche of humanity and all our ancestors. However, for every account of benign shadow people or ancient lore on them even having positive aspects, like uh, guardians even, for every one of these accounts, there are tales of shadows that attack, the malevolent shadow people. But before we move on, let's take a quick break. We're going to have a long episode today, so just sit back and relax. Paranormal investigators like Alexandra Gariulo say that they very much believe that demons exist, but that shadow people should not be put in that category. Exorcist James Buckman is sure that shadow people are an ancient evil, but separate from the ghost, poltergeist, or demon category of supernatural entities. However, despite this distinction, they are one of the hardest entities to get rid of once they've decided they want to visit someone continuously. This is because even if a demonologist exercises them, if the victim goes back to the old ways or does the same stuff that initiated the attention of the shadow person in the first place, there's nothing stopping them from just coming right back. Unless uh, the demonologist who performed the exorcism also happen to be an occultist, then they probably will be gone for good. But otherwise, shadow people are easily one of the hardest entities to exercise. The attacks from shadow people are pretty freaky and diverse, like people being dragged from their bed, beaten, 
or even violated in ways I don't really want to talk about because the algorithm might censor me. But they've been reported to slam themselves into people over and over, causing convulsions, picked up into the air and dropped or pulled into dark areas, such as a room without lights on from a hallway. One particularly freaky story I read about was a shadow person shoving their arm down a lady's throat, taunting her while choking her. She said the thing was legit trying to kill her, even if the only way it could succeed was to kill her with fear. What's worse is that a lot of accounts have shadow people actually communicating with them, either in a verbal type way or mentally, and pretty much universally in an extremely creepy, disturbing manner. The way that the malevolent shadow people appear adds to the horror because it's always in a very scary way. Like just moving across the room in the darkness in unnatural whole body fits and jerks. Or coming up from the floor through a wall right in front of the person. Or coming out of nowhere hovering above them. Or just right in front of them. In any case, the shadow person's intention is to shock. They usually inject their presence or their presence can be felt before they even make a move which heightens a victim's anxiety before the attack. These aggressive shadow people can also manipulate electronics to freak people out too, so turning on the light won't help. They're reported to manipulate TV, radio, whatever you can think of, and the intention is obviously to steadily increase dread. And uh, a lot of times, the fear built up is so strong, the victim can't even scream, much less move, but the worst aspect of these shadows that attack is that the attacks repeatedly occur over an extended period of time. The shadow person latches on and doesn't let go. He may go away for some time, or the person may move, but eventually it comes back in one form or another. There's pretty much little any normal person can do than just hope it loses interest, which actually a lot of times they do seem to do eventually. From my understanding at least. But it still sucks. Seems like a horrifying way to live to be tormented year after year after year and not being able to do anything about it. But just how do you get the attention of shadow people in the first place? Well, as I said earlier, they seem to be drawn to a specific type of person. Exactly that the reason why they choose Specific individuals can only be speculated on and theorized about, while at the same time completely ignoring other people for some reason. And there still hasn't been a consistent overarching connection to why certain people are ignored and why certain people are chosen to essentially haunt. Race doesn't matter, age doesn't matter, culture doesn't matter. It seems to be random, but at the same time, it's kind of calculated because the people that the shadow people ignore don't ever get messed with, at least in a negative way. You know what I mean? They may, shadow people may appear to them, but they just sit there or they just stand there or they just don't do anything. However, there are certain ways to invite them to you, according to paranormal investigators. Victims invite shadow people into their lives either willingly or unwillingly, either knowingly or unknowingly. And you could probably guess one of the ways to invite them because it's pretty cliche in the horror scene. A lot of paranormal investigators consider the Ouija board to easily be the go-to culprit for inviting shadow people into your life, but mainly if the rules of the board are not followed. 
You could essentially like leave a little doorway open that they can find. And even if a shadow person does get exercised from a location, like I said earlier, it can come right back if that person has not changed their lifestyle or what drew the shadow person entity to them in the first place. But other invitations are more subtle, like alcoholism, drug abuse, emotional abuse, or other things of the darker nature that one can fall into in life. And bear in mind, I'm not talking about mild or moderate or even heavy on occasion. I'm talking hardcore here. It has to be an extreme, to the point that the very energy in a location is altered on a vibrational level. It's like a neon sign saying, come on in, free food. However, recklessly plunging into the occult, too, is often an open invitation to shadow people. Now, I'm not talking um, like weird, crazy dark, like Hollywood occult stuff here because the occult is not inherently good or bad. And the definition of it just pretty much means hidden knowledge. In saying that, though, the occult is extremely dangerous and many people go insane or worse from it. And people who go into the more creepy, darker side of the occult are absolutely inviting shadow people. But again, let me be clear, don't get me wrong, being into astrology or like herbs, zodiac signs, meditation, the paranormal, you know, the basic stuff, none of that's going to summon any shadow people. I'm talking dark side or just going in without understanding the dangers or being prepared for them, that stuff. Trying to make a pact with an infernal demon just might get some attention of shadow people. See what I'm saying, listener? There are aspects of the occult that are good to know and are harmless. In fact, even the darker side of the occult is harmless if you are an advanced person in it and know what you're doing. And there's aspects of the occult that are very good to know, like symbolism and how it manipulates the subconscious, because stuff like that is used against normal people by the elite every day. Like Sun Tzu said, in order to fight something, you gotta understand it. But also don't misunderstand me, I'm not trying to be a proponent of the occult, just that we shouldn't be superstitious. Because when you're superstitious or fearful of something, you give it power over you. It's being reckless and lacking knowledge, understanding, and respect of the subject that paranormal researchers are talking about when saying that the occult opens doorways to shadow people. Especially because of the ways that the exorcists and demonologists utilize the way to get rid of them are totally 100% occult in nature. And if you look at like the Catholic Church and other church services, other whatever you want to do, there's occult stuff going on all over the place. People just don't notice it because they don't know what to look for. One of the main reasons why this kind of knowledge was demonized by the 1% and whatnot over the history and, and the past and all that was to hoard power for themselves and use those things that they demonize against the very people that they tell not to do it and uh, beat them over the head with fear about it. Because if they ever do it, they will be burning in hell for all eternity. But being superstitious is actually much more damaging. And fear, anxiety, worry, and the like only give these dark entities more power. According to the lore, mind you. I'm not trying to say any of this is absolute fact. 
or objective. Another way to invite them, other than the occult and the stuff I talked about before, is to hang around areas with like dark histories or places that are said to be haunted by ghosts or things like that. It's basically like kind of like a grocery store to shadow people. They can just shop around and pick what food they want, browsing options and whatnot. When they find a good person that they can feed off of or whatever, whatever they're the thing is that they do, they follow that person home. Although ghosts are said to do that too, so don't get too freaked out by that idea if you haven't heard it before. It's also why some exorcists say not to interact with paranormal entities if they make themselves known to you because they can gain more energy and power from it, which is true. The more thought that they get, the stronger they can influence. But more often than not, just what invited the shadow person isn't really easily figured out, though. And there's too much shadow person lore to just say that they had to have invited it with, like, Ouija boards as, like, a blanket statement. Because it seems like sometimes certain people just taste good. There's also the whole ancestral aspect of it. Like, maybe an ancestor had some kind of link to the shadow person, and your bloodline is connected to it or the shadow person has some kind of connection to ancestors in general, like it really enjoyed feeding off the fear of family members from the past, or maybe even a person or their bloodline in general is cursed. So we've gone over a lot about shadow people, but just what's the lore of where the shadow people come from, which obviously is highly speculative. There's sections of the esoteric fringe that say some shadow people are what's called an astral traveler, someone who is projecting themselves. Astral, projecting themselves. I mean, basically an intentional out-of-body experience. If we're looking at it from the point of view the astral plane is a real thing, then shadow people most definitely exist there. But honestly, this is the first time I've ever heard of shadow people being astral projectors. As far as I know, that's not really a thing, or how that works according to the lore. But in line with that same statement, I guess it could be like an evil person, or like an evil occultist or something, that's doing psychic vampire stuff, maybe? Who knows? Interesting theory, though. One of the most interesting sets of theories about shadow people to me is the theory that uh, we live in a simulation which comes from quantum physics. You know, the holographic universe theory, the multiverse theory, the simulation theory, all that good stuff. Now, for those who are more spiritual-minded people out there, don't worry. The holographic universe theory does not diminish spirituality in the slightest, unless you don't have any imagination. It's just uh, mundane descriptions and scientific rhetoric out of necessity. It's still something far beyond the comprehension and descriptions of those who research it in a scientific way. There is no need to computerize it or make it artificial when thinking about it. After all, even artificial things are not artificial when you break them down to the quantum level. At the quantum level, literally everything is alive and vibrating. The idea is similar to the Matrix movies, very loosely. Um, with humanity living in a computer simulation metaphorically. And there's actually a surprising amount of evidence that we do live in a simulated reality. But just what is a simulation? 
it's a form of putting ourselves into an artificial environment that allows us to interact with foreign bodies in a safe environment. Although our world doesn't seem very safe at face value, does it? It is a way to experience attempted mastery in an environment. Oddly, this view syncs up with many ideas of reincarnation, in that we return to this world lifetime after lifetime until we accomplish or learn what we've been sent here to. But eventually, everyone does get to ascend to a higher level of whatever. You know, like a higher level of consciousness, a higher dimension, a higher plane of existence, stuff like that. Doesn't matter how long it takes, eventually, everybody moves on from the simulation to another simulation. Concerning shadow people, the idea is that both spiritually and uh, quantum physics or science, we don't understand yet. We live in some sort of simulation. In many ways, you could look at God creating the universe as creating a simulation. Think about Gnosticism, boom. It's really not that far off from many spiritual beliefs across the planet throughout history. From this point of view, shadow people could be beings outside the simulation, hacking into it. Shadow beings could also be things from the real world or outside worlds that have gained access to penetrate the simulation. It could explain why they are not able to fully form and appear like shadowy wraiths. They try their best to look human or humanoid, but don't really understand it or the context. So they look like freaky, but don't realize it. Or they're just incapable of taking a full form within this simulation. There are, after all, a lot of accounts of shadow people just watching, just observing, stalking and watching. It could be some shadow people are people who work on the simulation and are checking out possible glitches or other issues to maintain it. Since shadow people only seem to be interested in specific humans, it could also be them logging and collecting data from specific individuals in the simulation for some greater unknown purpose. It could also be them logging sleep patterns, biology, or how people react to certain things. Concerning the messed up, malevolent shadow people, perhaps part of ourselves outside the simulation have enemies, and these evil type shadow people are our enemies taking advantage of our current state to mess with us or get revenge, who knows. Shadow people could also be a virus or malware, not literally, but in essence, or discarded programs or data that are self-aware to a degree. They could be entities from other levels of the simulation, or even past simulations. I mean, even if you put something in your trash on your computer, deleting it, there's actually an essence of that data that you can never get rid of and is still and always on your computer to a small degree. So there could have been past simulations that were destroyed or deleted and these, or this data that is shadow people, I guess, hopped over somehow. Shadow people could be deleted data in some form and that's why they feed on human energy. It's the only way for them to like continue to move on and stay in any coherent form. So what do you think, listener? Are shadow people interdimensional entities, demons, aliens, hallucinations during a state between sleep and waking life, protective spirits? Or could they be more psychological, such as a chemical imbalance in the brain? Or are our neurological perceptions playing games with us? 
You might also be wondering, is there any way to defend yourself against shadow people? Well, in truth, there really is a lot you can do. And kind of humorously, the first thing someone can do is simply keep their area clean. This includes pretty deep vacuuming. Yes, vacuuming your entire house, especially your room or a place you spend a lot of time, is an extremely potent form of protection against negative entities. But uh, just keeping your living area or an area you spend a lot of time in clean. This form of defense is not only found in demonology, but also in hoodoo and the paranormal in general. Negative entities love dirty, filthy places, especially floors and corners. Living in filth itself is a form of invitation to shadow people. Another simple form of defense is to not feed them fear, which sounds a lot harder than it really is if you relieve yourself from superstition. It's important to just see them as a natural aspect of the universe like anything else. And depending on the type of shadow person, the fear is artificially injected. So if that's the case, it's actually a little bit more tricky in that situation. What you resist persists. And to fight back is to, oddly, stop resisting and just experience without resistance. This mindset will greatly limit the fear beyond the artificial fear and even the artificial fear will begin to wane when you just accept it. It'll just get weaker and weaker, eventually removing the power of the entity altogether. Doing this also causes the shadow person to lose interest because they're looking for an easy meal. They don't want to fight. They don't want to um, challenge. They just want, yeah, an easy meal. So they'll move on to an easier choice. Another more powerful and <laughs> probably odd, you've most likely never heard of it before, but another more powerful tool against such entities like shadow people is to laugh. Yep, just straight up laugh, even if the laugh is artificial and forced. And to just keep laughing. Laughter is one of the most classic and powerful forms of banishment since ancient times. But laughter does not only work well against shadow people, it works well against all negative entities or even just negative energy in general. First and foremost though, not being superstitious is key to opposing shadow people. Like any good demonologist or exorcist, you need to be able to walk in darkness with a smile. Although the classical sage purification works as well, uh, playing music with positive vibes all throughout a house or area where there may be like shadow people, the Gayatri Mantra is incredibly potent in banishing shadow people. If you don't know what the Gayatri Mantra is, go check it out because it purifies in more ways than one. It's an ancient Hindu mantra that's extremely powerful against dark entities. But also if someone has true faith, then true faith is a potent weapon against shadow people as well. True faith doesn't have to be Christian, FYI. True faith from any tradition or belief system Will work just as potently and then use whatever tools are in the system of that true faith of the system that the true faith is placed in and should be good to go so no resistance no fear and acceptance that it's all natural as anything else is overall key to fighting shadow people there are more occult ways to handle it such as in demonology but i'll leave that info to the exorcists and demonologists the ways I've just given are going to be the most potent way to fight shadow people for normal, everyday individuals. <laughs> I almost forgot about sleep paralysis. 
So the best way to fight a shadow person during sleep paralysis is pretty much just to breathe as deeply and slowly as possible. In, out, in, out, in, out. Slow it down to a freeze as much as possible. And this will pump the chemicals out like so that your brain releases the chemicals releasing your body. And even if one is being choked by a horrific shadow person, you can actually still control your breathing if focused. That's just part of a hallucination to make the person feel fear, but you can still focus to control the breathing despite that feeling of being choked. So there you go. I thought you would find it interesting all the different ways that a normal everyday person could fight a shadow person. Just uh, basically with a mindset of courage undaunted, the power of shadow people fades quickly. That's all for today's episode. Hope you enjoyed the creepy topic and I look forward to coming back to shadow people in the future. Cryptic Chronicles is available on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Spreaker, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and basically all podcast hubs. Just look for us and we'll be there. If you can, please make sure to comment or review wherever you hear this content. The interaction makes algorithms like the episode and so will help spread it and help grow the show. Though, Cryptic Chronicles is free to listen to, the cost to produce it is substantial. By pleasing the algorithm gods, you are doing more than your fair share of support. And if you really, really like Cryptic Chronicles and you happen to be awesome, then support the show on Patreon. For just a dollar, you can unlock full uncensored shows with no ads or anything like that, and be able to listen to episodes months and months and months before they actually come out to the rest of the public, as well as getting YouTube videos early, everything you get early. By supporting for just a single dollar, you'll get access to exclusive podcast episodes and depending on the pledge can even come on the show or join the Discord channel or just all kinds of awesome stuff. Just go to crypticchronicles.com and at the top, click on the Chronicler's Vault. It's a link to Patreon, so you'll be good to go. By being a patron, you can help direct where the directions of the shows go, help choose new topics for future shows, etc. It's great. Come talk on the Discord. Everything's awesome. And as always, I'd like to thank my current patrons, MJ Calvo, Adrian, John, Celestial Weavers, Alien X, Lorna Grubb, Linda Gonzalez, Angela Delaire, Ashley, Brad Herbert, Lawrence Lee, Patricia Coles, Kayla, Max, Michael Worrell, Jimmy Woods, Grodius, Sophia Owens, Scott Wellman, Beware the Q, and Ashley Thompson. Thanks for supporting Cryptic Chronicles, but most of all, thanks for listening. And as one of the most cryptic philosophers who ever lived once said, they laugh at me because I'm different. I laugh at them because they are all the same. <laughs>